took on flesh. God took on flesh, came to earth, and lived among us. I just can't believe that. In my human rationale, I just can't believe that. God, Creator, took on human flesh, came to earth, and lived among people like you and people like me. I can't believe that. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I want to believe that. Because if it's true, then it means there is something going on that is beyond me. And if that's true, and it really involves God, the Creator, then it has implications in my life for here and now and eternity. And I just soon drive fast, live free, and party. Say what I feel. Be my own person. Be the one who runs my life. But if God took on flesh and came and lived among us, and He said some things, and He did some things, then it means maybe my life needs to change. I don't know. I don't know about you. But I know when I was a teenager and I came to receive Christ as Lord of my life, it was a struggle. I've heard other people talk about how easy it was. I remember how I held on there in that worship experience. I remember grabbing the seat in front of me, the back of it, and saying, I'm not a bad person. It was almost like God heard me. And the person speaking said, some of us want to deny that sin is real in our lives. I don't believe, I don't believe from what I read out of the Scriptures and what I understand now, I would have ever come to believe in a God who took on flesh and came to earth and lived among us and did things and said things. I would ever believe it without the conviction of God Himself on my heart, my mind. I would have just lived to my own intelligence and my own dominating being me. He came. And He just didn't come to show off. He came to redeem, to save you and I. And you know what's so grand? That now, 2,000 years later, we can read about His actions as a human. We're going to look at the book of Luke and we're going to see that Luke wrote about 
Jesus, who was God in flesh. 29 years after Jesus had left the earth to go back to be with the Father, the Son went back to be with the Father. Some of you are saying, I don't understand that. God came and was the Son, and yet He went back to be with the Father. I don't understand that. I'll tell you what. Connection is somewhat different. We believe you've got to bring transformation into the lives of adults if you're going to touch their children. Their adult children, who now maybe don't want to listen to mom and dad. Their teenage children, who are beginning to maybe say, I don't want to listen to mom and dad. And their younger children. And so in January, we're going to begin a study trying to understand God in three persons. Who God really is. But you gotta, you got to make a choice, see? you got to decide to come to a connect group. And I'm going to tell you, on your own, you won't. And I hope in some of the words I'm saying, the Holy Spirit is convicting you because without His conviction and you responding to it, you'll never come to understand all there is about God. It, it, it's, it's beyond human understanding, folks. How can a human explain God? Apart from God, explain it to the human first. And we get a look and see about the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke, the 22nd chapter. If you have one of those New Testaments, page 73. And again, I say it every, almost every time we're together. We have New Testaments out on the table. We want you to take them there for you to bring with you as we look to the book of Luke. If you have a Bible, you could bring in. Let, let me also say, this is a new experience. Thank you for coming. I, I want to say, don't raise your hands, but I want to say raise your hands if you went shopping. Don't do this. If you went shopping yesterday, you went to work yesterday, or you just got out and went to a restaurant, or went somewhere and did something. You know, many people are out. And then today, folks say, hey, should we have church? I'm just going to tell you, the Father sees it all. He heard me pray when my youngest child, when, some of you have heard this, Laura had that child, I think 2.30 or 3.30. And I went home after the delivery of Daniel. My folks had come down to take care of the kids. I went home to see if everything's okay. The hospital's 10 miles away. And then I come back about 5.30 and Laura says she's not seen the baby or held the baby. And I, I go down to the nursery to ask the nurse why. Or I did. No, a nurse came in. I asked her. And she said, well, we'll take care of it. And I just thought it was a runaround. And I went down to the nursery. And I could see through. And there they were holding my son, Daniel. And he was turning blue. And he was trying to get him to breathe. And she came out. And she said, I'm sorry, Miss Davis. You saw that. And I said, hey, listen. You just keep Daniel. You guys are the experts. You take care of him. We'll do what we can do. So I went back to Laura and we did what we did. We prayed. We said, God, we just ask, unless there's a reason you want Daniel home now, we just ask you help him. Blah, blah, blah. We went through all that the parents would do. And you know what? We took Daniel home in time. And we raised Daniel. And he accomplished many things. I could tell you some of his accomplishments. But one thing we never forgot is that he must know God is to be preeminent in his life. You see, wouldn't that be silly for parents to ask God to help their children and then they take their children away from God? By saying there's so much more human their children ought to have? 
And I appreciate you being here. And I'm not trying to chastise anybody who's not here. I do believe if a person doesn't feel they're safe driving, they shouldn't be out driving in this. Believe me. Yesterday I witnessed an accident, so I was standing on Broadway in my car with two other cars because the policeman asked if I would stay and, and, and just share what I saw. And I know, probably the person who got the ticket for not controlling their vehicle maybe shouldn't have been out driving. So, I'm not telling people, I don't think you should ever drive if you don't feel safe. But I do want to thank you. This is a new experience. We've got to learn how to park vehicles out here. Because we can't use this back area when it's like this. And next week, we'll have probably a third more vehicles. If the weather's good. And so, I appreciate you when you pulled in. You, you followed what we were doing. I thank Brian. Brian came up to me and he says, hey, I was out to trying to get some cars started. He says, you need me to do something? I said, sure. Take over here. And I was sweeping to try to make so not a lot of snow to get in here. Try to keep the moisture down. And, and Courtney says, you need me to do something? I said, sure, sweep. Listen, if I'm ever doing anything and you wonder, can you ever do anything out here? Just ask me. I'll, let you, I'll give you what I got if I can. I know some smart ass going to come out up and say, you want me to preach today? <laughs> but I so appreciate it. And I appreciate you people doing this. Because it's the only way. We, we, we've, we've got to try to get as many cars as we can. And I haven't looked out there. I don't, uh, somebody needs to look out there to know something about parking and evaluate if we've got to do something different next week. We may have to line cars up in the drive going out back and down between them. And you know if we do that, what that means? It means definitely not Black Friday. Don't rush to get out of here real quick. And today, be careful. Be careful leaving. Okay? Just be careful leaving. If you take your time, you get out safe. Some of you are going to feel you can't get up that incline. Okay? And I understand. Now, I did it last night in my car. I got up there, Okay? But if you don't feel comfortable, then just go down here, make your left. Be careful. Don't hit the barriers. Don't hit the dumpster. Okay? I don't care what your car looks like. Don't trash it. Okay? And just go out the back road. It's one lane. It's not open too, so don't turn around and come back. Go out the back road. You'll get out here. That's a county road right back here. It's not a driveway. It's a county road. Go down that county road. You'll come down to this corner and just come here. And you'll just go a little bit up on the hill, okay? And then you'll go sort of down to the intersection and you can use that stop sign. And you can get right out there. If you don't think you can make that, just do that. Just take your time, okay? And be patient. Let's be safe. We're, we're going to learn how to handle it out here. Okay, in time, we'll put rock, we'll expand this parking, we'll, we'll do all that. We want to eventually concrete it. That's a lot of thousands of dollars. But we eventually want to, but it's got a good rock base. So take your time, and I appreciate you just going with directions. <laughs> Brian said to me, man, some of those people got a mind of their own. <laughs> really? Christians? Ask him if I didn't say that. Christians? Okay. I know that wasn't any of you. That was somebody that didn't. That's those people in the other part of the building. Okay. Hey, is it possible... Is it possible if, if we got time to do re you won't relent again at the end of the worship? Are the instruments on? So 
Okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll ask you to come up if, if, if I think we got time, and then I'll have a prayer, and we'll close with that song. Okay, if it's, now if I don't do it, okay, just I felt didn't have enough time. I think that's a great... Uh, I don't know about you, I enjoyed this. I was watching these instrumentalists. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the words. I get lost in them. I'm not a singer, but I get lost in, in what God has done through people who write music and people who play instruments. Okay? I'll tell you what, before we get going, let's just bow together. I want to pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank You. I thank You to stand before people that, that so orderly apart. I thank You for, for the privilege of standing before people who, who, who felt that a relationship with You warrants getting out. Not to run somewhere else, but to spend time with You. I, I, I thank You, Father, for being able to stand before people and share Your Word. And God, I thank You that I get to stand with these people and recognize Your relentless love for us. May we see that through what we're going to look at today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The Bible contains many character stories, okay? It tells us about people like you and I. Our problem is we're so removed that we think, did it really happen like this? I'm going to tell you again, when it comes to history, and especially history of antiquity, and somebody might say, what is history of antiquity? That's before the proliferation of writing. Before we got, just before the printing press, writing was a task. And so we didn't, we, we, we have information about characters 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, before the 1600s, I think that, or 1300s, somewhere the printing press come out in those three centuries. Before that, we have written information, and much of that information is just copies of information about those events or those characters. And, and we teach them in our schools, trusting them. Well, in the Bible, we have information, especially in the New Testament, of characters within just a few decades where much, much of history from antiquity are hundreds of years old before, after the event. And yet we trust those. And God tells us the stories of the characters. And what I like about the Bible is, is some of those characters are unfaithful to God. And some of those characters are faithful to God. You see, they're, they're, they're like you and I. It's one of the things whenever I was 19 and I was trying to decide, I was trying to decide, what am I going to do in relationship with you, God? It's one of those things that made me appreciate the Bible. The reality of the flaws in the people who called God Jehovah, who said God is their Savior, who honored Jesus Christ. They were just human beings like you and I. They, they, they weren't some... Tremendous spiritual giants. Sometimes we make them out to be spiritual giants. And I'm going to tell you, when we look at a guy like Paul in the New Testament, or Peter in the New Testament, we discover why they become so strong for the Lord through looking at the words they write. And it's all about their glory to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not about their ability to be something for God. 
And we're going to look at one of those characters today. Sometimes I think he's my favorite. And then I forget him because I think he was so impetuous and, and so outspoken that I don't like to dwell on him sometimes. But then whenever I see what he did and what happens in his life, I, I, I just love him. And that's a guy by the name of Peter. And so if you have your Bibles open to 22nd chapter, look there at verse 31. It starts out with two words. His name, Simon, Simon. This is Simon Peter. We shorten it, we just call him Peter. This is a guy that we met in chapter 5 of Luke. This, this is a fella who, 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 who was a contractor. He owned his own business. And his business was not a big business. It was a business where he had to labor. Many times early morning. Maybe take a siesta in the afternoon. Unless he stayed out on the water and then worked until the sun went down. You know, sometimes we fuss because we work eight, nine, ten hours. We ought to think about our great grandfathers. Sun up to sundown often. And then our great grandmothers. Their work never done. Peter was a guy who was a laborer, he's a common man, he was a businessman. You know, I think sometimes Jesus called Peter to follow Him and Peter became a leader in the church. I think sometimes maybe the reason he became a leader is because he understood people. You can't be a person who's a contractor and hire people to get in one of those other boats you got to do your catch fish that you don't put up with their temperament and you don't put up with their shortcomings and you don't learn to put up with their own irresponsibility. And sometimes they're not as good as you. But Peter must have learned that to be in the fishing business as an adult man. And I tell you all that, that that's not important. I almost said I'm not going to explain all that. But I tell you all that to tell you this. Some of you, some of you are self-contractors. Some of you are people who have common sense to manage. The sad thing is, is that you will say you're so busy managing that which you do in the world that you don't get involved in helping to be a part of what God is doing through connection and being a part of Jesus' ministry. It would be a shame to have a, a mind that understands certain things that God could use to enhance His ministry. I'm going to tell you, if connection is going to be all that I can envision it to be, and that's not a church of a thousand people tending in this location. That's a church of starting many smaller churches. But if connection is going to be that, it's because people who've got some common sense about living life and they can be leaders of small groups, they become involved. And you're one of those people. Peter was one of those people. I think that's why Jesus called him. And he followed Jesus for three years and he became a close friend with Jesus. He became one of those guys that was considered one of the three inner circle guys. James, Peter, and John. Very close to Jesus. Look after Simon, Simon. The next ten words, you ought to underline those ten words because when you read this, that's what this is all about. Those next ten words. If you don't, you'll read Simon, Simon and you'll read this and you'll get by it and the story will not have impact. Look what it says. Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. What we're being told there is Satan is real. Demons are real. I've told you this before. 
Earlier in the book, we dealt with some of this when Jesus was, was confronting demons. Don't have time now. But we need to recognize that Satan is real. Demons are real. They speak into our mind. They do. And you can, you can know, you'll say, well, who is God and who is demons? God always speaks toward order and obedience. Demons will always speak to disorder and confusion. Demons rebel. God brings unity. Demons told me from 14, 15 to 19, don't listen to your dad. Rebel. Even one night, offer your fist. I hate that. God used some men to mentor me. That By 25, God has me apologizing to my father. And if you would have told me whenever I was in those teen years and that early adult, young adult years that I was wrong, I'd never listen to you. You see, because demons have a way of denying their reality. Satan wants to tell you he's not real. He wants to say, be your own person. Be strong. But you know it's not good. You know it's not good. Demons are real. And Jesus is telling Satan, you've got to be aware. Satan's seeking, and he's not just saying it to Peter, he's saying it to all of them. Satan hates God. That's what it's all about, folks. If you read the Scriptures, you'll understand. I don't have time to explain all that. It's another sermon. Another day. But he can't hurt God. And God loves you. Matt talked about that. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. You see, God loves, God gives. Satan can't hurt God, so He hurts whom God loves. The same thing you would do toward people. If you can't hurt the adult, you'll try to hurt their children some way. That's why Satan is trying to get a hold of us. To influence us. Because he hates God and he doesn't want you and I to experience God's love and all God has for us. Look, he goes on. Satan's going to tell a bunch of lies. Verse 32, Jesus says, But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned from me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Where it says strengthen your brothers, I would just circle that. Because later you're going to see the importance of that. You see, Jesus says, Satan's trying to get a hold of you. But He says, I'm praying for you. I'm fighting for you. Now, whenever you see what's happened, start strengthening your brothers when you realize what is going on. You see, Peter's, all, Peter's the guy who says, listen, Jesus, I will never fail you. If you followed with us, he said that. He said, I will follow you to suffering. I will die for you. It is Peter when Jesus says, who do you say I am? It's Peter who's impetuous, who speaks up, who says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's Peter who does all this. You know what Peter was saying? Peter saying, I got your back, Jesus. That's what he's saying. I've got your back. Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand some things that go on in life. And you and I need to realize that. Because it goes on in our life because Satan and demons are real. Are real. Often I am reminded of this passage. I have seen people, I have seen people who will say in commitment to God, I'm going to be faithful to something. And then quickly, 
Or over time, they get caught up by the devil. And pretty soon they're doing what they shouldn't be doing. I've seen it in the lives of individuals. I remember a man, a man that I, I sought to get close to and, and help. Because I saw his family as being strategic in the community I live. And I thought, oh God, I'm available. If we can impact this daddy for Jesus, think what you can do to his family line. I remember I got close to that guy. And after, I don't know, two and a half, three years of relating, he's arrested. I won't go in for all he's arrested. He was slick in his deception. And I go to court. I'm the only person who will testify about what I saw in his character in the last couple years. But it wasn't accepted. Nobody else would testify for him. He went to prison for his crime. He had to be in prison for a year. It was my family. It was my children. We would write letters to him. We never went and saw him because he was away distance, but we would communicate to him. His family would always tell us thank you. And he got out in a year and he came back and he sang our praises. Believe me, we're not doing it for our praises, but within two years, his spirit turns. Bad. He forgets what we've done. And he starts saying mean things about me. You can't trust Mike Davis. You see, something's going on up here in the guy's mind. I've seen couples come together for marriage and I talk to them in premarital counseling sessions and they are committed to each other and I warn them of things that are going to struggle. But you know they love each other so much and they get married. And then after a few years, something's going on up here and they say such hateful things about each other and the marriage is broken. You see, Satan, Satan is involved. And we want to deny that. And here is Peter. Peter who has been so faithful to Jesus. And just in two, three days, really in two days, Jesus is going to die. And Jesus is trying to make him aware. You're going to deny the relationship with me. And why will he deny his relationship with Jesus? The one he says is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The one he said he would follow and suffer for. The one who said he'd die. Why will he do that? Because you see in his mind, listen now, this is what Satan does. In his mind, he justified it was okay to do. That's not of God. He justified it's okay to do. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. Satan's trying to take control of you. Look what he says in 34. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Now again, I want to just tell you, Jesus demonstrates His foreknowledge. I've called attention to that. Because you see, God has that foreknowledge. Jesus is just demonstrating that. Jesus is God. We should never be surprised. Jesus knows what we're going to do. He does. You don't have to be surprised. When God convicts you of your wrong, you don't have to be surprised He knew you were going to do it. When God brings blessing into your life, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't be surprised that God knew blessings were going to come. 
See, God knows. And Jesus knows. And I want to say, with all that, Jesus understands the struggles and the temptations we're going through. That's what He's indicating to Peter. And so, don't let me, whenever I feel struggles and temptations, say, well, God, I'm not good enough. I'm going to try to handle this on my own. You won't. It won't work. You know, you tried to handle it on your own before. It doesn't work. Look, at the, look on your message map. There's a page, December the 8th, for blanks. Fill in that first blank. Remember this. When Satan is seeking to, to get influence in your life, Jesus will have someone give us a warning before the opportunity to deny His Lordship comes. You see, Jesus uses maids. He uses parents. He uses children. He uses friends to warn you and me. I got warm. It should be warn you and me. That's what He does. Jesus knows the difficulty that we go through. He knows the injustices. He knows how we think. And I'm going to tell you, He loves you and He seeks to warn you. And He'll use often, I just listed some ideas, someone else. The question, as with Peter now, is will we hear the warning? Will he hear Jesus' warning? You're going to deny me. Will he? Will every nerve in his body pay attention to when that opportunity of deception is going to come so that he can stand up against it and resist it? Will we hear the warning that God gives to us through someone else? Now, I want you to drop down to verse 54. I'll come back next week to where we're leaving off. I just want to deal with Peter this week. Look at verse 54. So they arrested him, that's Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. Jesus is going to be tried, he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be placed on the cross. He's going to be executed as a criminal. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to die because he loves you and I, not because he's out of or because the situation is out of control. He is going to willingly give his life because you see, sin in my life and in yours separates us from God. When we let Satan have his way and we get caught up in self-centeredness and our ideas and our thoughts, pretty soon we find ourselves pulling away from God, pulling away from God's Word, pulling away from God's people, pulling away from unity, and pretty soon we're, a, we're an island unto ourselves. And so Jesus died on the cross so that could be broken. That will come as we look at that later as we move on in Luke. Peter was Jesus' friend, as I told you earlier. One of the three close in the inner circle. And yet he fails Jesus at the most desperate time in Jesus' earthly existence. He lets him down. Just this instant, he does not have Jesus' back. And Peter is not willing to acknowledge the truth. We don't hear him say, Lord, help me to be aware of when I'm going to deny You. Help me to see the situation beforehand. Father, help me to be open And often when we deny Jesus by doing what He doesn't want us to do, we aren't open to hear what He's trying to say to us through someone else that He's trying to warn us through. From time to time, we're given opportunity to stand up and do what Jesus wants. And often, 
often it becomes some of the most difficult things we do in life to do what Jesus wants when we don't want to do it. I so appreciate Bob Gentry cleaning off all this for us. He's out here last night for a few hours doing this, and when he calls me at 7.30, he says, got it done, Mike. But somebody have to clear off the sidewalk. And I come out and I clear off the sidewalk. I leave the warmth. I was watching Missouri and Auburn. Anybody watch that game? Thanks, I'm talking to some friends. Hoping Missouri would win. Oh, gee, could go do that tomorrow. And I learned, in my life, I've learned, don't put off today what you can do today for tomorrow. Something happened getting away. Anyway, I don't like getting up early. I have to come out. Thought about calling half a dozen of you, but didn't want to bother you. And somebody says, well, you don't have to do that by yourself. You give me your name and your phone number. I'll call you. Then. Believe me. I'll take turns. But you see, that wasn't hard. To leave the comfort of my home to come out here, that's for the glory of Christ. That's not even for you. If, if you praise me for that, then I've received my praise. That's so Jesus' Word can be proclaimed. But there's an environment. People, you can know the next time we show up, it's going to be within human ability to make it comfortable for us. That's not hard. But I can remember a time when it was hard. I can remember when each of my children reached the 18th year of their life and they're adults and they have to sit down with me. And Laura and I, I'm talking to them and we've thought this out. And every one of my children know, every one of my children know, there's four or five things. If you're going to continue living in our home as an adult with two other adults, because we raised them to tell them you're going to be an adult. Now we've got to relate as friends. Friends don't hurt each other. Some of you 18 and 19 year olds that are hurting your mom and dad's heart, don't tell me you're an adult friend to your parents. You're a mean-spirited rat. You're a brat. You're still a kid. You'll love your, 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 some guy and gal more than you'll love your parents who sacrifice for you. We'd sit down and I'd say, now, 18's coming and you're going to be considered an adult. There's four or five things. If you're going to continue living in this house, you'll have to continue doing. If you want to know about those things, I'll tell you. It was things like, you must be a part of family chores. No laying in bed. I mean, I don't care if my kids slept in late. Some of you know. But chores had to be done. But one of those things was, you have to be in church on Sunday. And if you didn't agree to these four or five things, we'd negotiate it. My kids, some of them would negotiate later times to stay out and things like that. I'm not telling you to be Laura and Mike to your kids. It's just I learned from one of my mentors who had like seven children and much older than Laura and I. You better get that worked out before they get to be 18. And those, they, would, they would negotiate. and We'd change some of them. But we wouldn't change. You had to be in church on Sunday. If you live under my roof, you get to eat my food and enjoy my air conditioning, my heat, you got to be in church on Sunday. And I remember one, after about a year, 19, 20, I don't want to go to church. You got to get an apartment. And so he did. Got his own apartment. He had to pay his own utilities. He had to pay his rent. I'm not going to pay it. But he couldn't live in my house. 
Laura and I, she was supposed to be in here, but apparently somebody didn't show up, and so she's in child care. Because she probably doesn't, it's been a long time since I've told this story. For about a year, six months to somewhere in a year, year and a half, there was tension between that child and the daddy and the mama. He could come and eat anytime he wants, he could come and visit anytime he wants. But if there's no church, there's no roof provided by dad. Somewhere in that year, year and a half, he started going to church where he had moved to. And God was speaking to him again. And then we we would talk, you know, we never hated each other. I don't think he hated me. But uh, we talked. And we came close together. Now that's been 20 some years ago. I had a birthday, Sunday the 24th of this year. And they surprised me. My, one of my daughters said, hey dad, we want to take you and mom out to eat on your birthday. And they were the only family supposed to be there. And they all came. They surprised me. And, and my son-in-law, who, whose family had planned this, and always if you plan it, then you're responsible for taking care of prayer time. He, so he said, hey, and he called on my son to have the prayer. Would you have the prayer before we eat? And my son prayed. And he said some words, and this is what he said within his prayers. Thank you, God, that much of what we have learned spiritually our Father gave to us. Now, that was not easy to say to my son, God is preeminent, or there's no roof. And to this day, now my son is raising his children to honor God. Now, you don't know that. I could be lying to you. But I'll have no trouble introducing you to him and to his children, and you'll see their respect for God and parents and grandparents. See, that's when it's not easy. Now, I tell you that story, not to impress you, but to say this. To take a stand and do what Jesus wants in those difficult times. That's when Satan's telling you, deny Jesus' priority in your life. Don't take that stand because everything's on the line. And you could lose. And one thing for sure, Satan will tell you, you shouldn't lose anything in this world. If God loves you, you ought to be getting everything. And yet the Scriptures tell us that we will suffer if we follow Him as Lord. There are many blessings to follow Him as Lord, but there comes those times. Look at your next blank. Often within our lives, we are given the opportunity to stand up for what Jesus wants. Or we simply deny what He wants. We don't take that stand. Every one of us will make those decisions. It's not, it's not the simple ones that coming out and doing something like cleaning snow. At least not for me, that wasn't. It's the hard ones when it's situations where you're thinking, oh, but if I stand for what Jesus wants, what will I lose? It sounds too big. Well, look what 54 says. They arrested Peter, Jesus and Peter followed at a distance. When we're not doing what Jesus wants us to do, I'm going to tell you, we always start getting at a distance from where God wants us. We don't show up for connect groups. We don't show up, we don't read our Bible. We don't pray as often. 
We say, I don't need to be at connection. Something else is going to occupy my time. We just start getting a distance. That's what happens to Peter. 55. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. Or, yeah, the the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. 56, a servant girl noticed him. That's Peter in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man, Peter, she didn't know his name, but this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. That's the first denial. 58, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No man, I'm not, Peter retorted. Second denial. 59, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. The third denial. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Listen, Peter was one of the best of those who followed Jesus. I want you to understand. And yet we see him falling here. We see Him in His humanity here. We see Him not realizing there is a battle going on for His allegiance. Because I have to realize that and you have to realize that. That battle is so real. And it takes place right here in your mind. You see, some of us failed Jesus last night. Some of us failed Jesus last week. Some of us failed Jesus last year. And we know it. And Peter knows it. And I know there's probably some here in pride saying, you're not talking about me, not me. Well, I'll just say to you, wait till tomorrow. Good, some understood what I said. You see, because I wished it never would, that temptation would stop coming to me, but it doesn't. And it comes to every one of us until the day we die. So how would Jesus respond to Peter's actions? I want you to know, you know what Jesus does for Peter? He goes to the cross. He dies for Peter. Jesus knows what Peter's going to do, and he doesn't pull away. And you know what? The Bible says before he created us, he knew he was going to die for us. In other words, God knows our sinfulness. He knows our failures. He didn't give up. It's Peter who ought to be dying. It's Peter who is the sinner. Jesus has no sin. But you know what Jesus does in relationship to Peter? He goes to the cross. He dies for those whom He loves. It's my sin and your sin that should cause us to die. But Jesus dies for us. That's His love for us. That's the good news. God, listen. God, listen please. This is the good news. God forgives Mike Davis. When I held on to that seat, I said, I'm not that bad. And that guy said, some of us were saying we're not sinners. And he explained what Christ did. I responded to what I understood by faith. Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. That's the good news. I want you to understand, that's what we are to talk about. Good news, not good advice. I'm not here giving you a bunch of good advice. Please don't leave me, don't part, go by me today and say, hey man, that was a lot of good advice in that sermon. 
I'm not giving you good advice. I'm telling you good news. And it all deals with forgiveness. And here's the good news. In your life, you need to receive the forgiveness for your self-centered sinfulness. That's the good news. Jesus died for you. For all the sin and selfishness that's in you. And here's the good news. Every person you meet ought to experience your forgiveness for all the wrong they have done. Your mate needs to feel your forgiveness. Your parents need to feel your forgiveness. Your family needs to feel your forgiveness. Your friends need to feel your forgiveness. And your enemies, Jesus said, needs to feel your forgiveness. That's the good news. I'm not offering any advice to anybody. I'm telling you good news. The good news is Jesus didn't pull away from a failing human being, Peter. He went to the cross. And the good news is that He forgives Peter. And the good news, He forgives me. And the good news, He forgives you. And He tells Peter, He tells you, He tells me, you give that, you accept that forgiveness and you give that forgiveness. This world can't even comprehend that unless they know Jesus. Jesus dies because He's relentless. He goes to the cross because His love is relentless. We sang, you won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Oh man, I sung that and I said, my heart is yours. And the same emotion I feel now, I felt as I sang that those many times. Oh God, you know I want it to be true even whenever I'm not the kind of husband I ought to be. Not the kind of father I ought to be. Not the kind of friend I ought to be. We sang it. You know what? Jesus wasn't going to give up on Peter. Because He wanted Peter's heart. He didn't want this businessman. He didn't want this professional. He didn't want Peter's expertise. Those are all good. He wanted his heart because until he has your heart, you may give your, you may, you may preach a sermon today, you may play a guitar today, but if he doesn't have your heart, next week, next month, you're not preaching and you're not playing anymore. You may sweep, uh, 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 as Courtney did, keep sweeping your snow out in the street. You may do that today, but if he doesn't have your heart, you won't be doing that next week or the week after. See, Jesus isn't looking for what you can give Him in the sense of all your ability. Jesus is looking for your heart. That's what He's looking for. And He's relentless. And you, you didn't want to hear this today because you did fail last night. You didn't want to hear this today because you did fail last week. You didn't want to hear this today because you know you failed last year. But He's relentless and He doesn't give up. And He uses those people in that first uh, blank. He's using your wife and your husband and your kids and your parents and your friends and somebody to get your attention. Well, Jesus dies on the cross. He lays in the tomb for three days and then He rises from the dead. And, and we're told that some ladies came with some spices because they were going to anoint Jesus' body. When we get to that part, I'll explain that better. And when they get there, there's an angel there. Jesus risen from the dead. And the angel has a message for those ladies from Jesus to give to His disciples. Look on the screen just for the sake of time, instead of... Nope, go back. I got ahead of myself. 
I better explain 22 to 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered that the Lord had said before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. That's what we always do. You see, in our society we say grown men don't cry. I'm going to tell you, grown men who are broken by God because of their sinful actions, their self-centeredness, they weep. They cry. And that's what Peter did. He cried. He wept bitterly. What have I done? I said I would, I would die for him. What have I done? <laughs> Look at the next blank on your message, man. Fill in that blank. What attracts me to God's Word, the Bible, is that God does not hide the failures of His great people in the Bible. What God shows us is their brokenness in turning back to God. That's what we see in Peter. I'm going to tell you, if I would have took time, and I did whenever I wrote this first time, and I said, no way, I didn't have enough time. Man, you talk so long. But I would have talked about Abraham's brokenness. I would have talked about Moses' brokenness. I would have talked about David's brokenness. Oh, man. Psalm 51. God spoke so great whenever I was 20, 21. Psalm 51, David's brokenness. I could show you Paul's brokenness. You see Peter's brokenness. Grown men, listen, grown men when they know they're not what God wants them to be, but they're all about themselves and they feel that conviction of that, they will weep. Look at the next blank. Can God see this brokenness in your life when you have failed Him? When you recognize your wrong action? When God convicts you about being the kind of husband you ought to be, man, and you really know, does a tear stream? When God speaks to you about the kind of father you're supposed to be, and you know you've not been that way, do the tears flow? When God speaks to you about your integrity and your honesty, and you know you've not been there, and the conviction comes, do the tears flow? God sees our brokenness. And we know that brokenness if we recognize it. And it breaks us emotionally. Well, now let's go on. Jesus dies for Peter. Jesus lays in the tomb. He raises from the tomb. The ladies come. And there's an angel there. And Jesus has told the angel to give the ladies a message to give to his disciples. Now I want you to look on the screen because it's found in Mark 16. Just look. The angel said to the ladies, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Now once you understand, you've got to see these faithful words. Jesus is relentless. He does not give up on Peter. Peter and these guys are, are afraid. They, they, they're afraid Nick's that the Romans are going to come and get them and they'll kill them, put them on the cross. And, 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 and they're all afraid. And, and so, what is Jesus' message to the ladies? The ladies come back and find the guys. matter of fact, if we read it, Peter and, 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 and John, they run to the tomb. They want to see, is it really empty? Okay? But, uh, but can you imagine? The ladies come and the ladies said, listen, we've got a message from Jesus. The angel told us to tell you 
told us to tell His disciples, including Peter. Look, it's nobody else. It's not including Matthew. It's not including John. It's including Peter. I want you to hear this. Please, don't lose. Stay with me. Including Peter. Peter is there. He's sitting with his head down. Of all the, the guys that are there, the eleven that are there, and, and, and he's thinking he died because I denied him. I am a miserable there's nothing solid about me. One day I, I say I love him, and the next day I don't. What? My name? You sure he didn't say, including John? See, because Jesus is John's the beloved. You sure he didn't mean my brother Jane? Me? Me? I'm the only one he mentioned. He's not left me out. He cares about me. I want you to know when you feel when you feel far away from God, He is relentless and He will call your name. He'll call you by name, Mike. Or whatever your name is. Can we reason together, Mike? Can we talk, Mike? I know how it looks in the world. You're really not worth much. Because of what you did. I want to meet with you, Mike. Oh, I've got others I'm going to be involved with. I know you're saying, well, he can use others. But I include you, Mike. That's what is happening here. Can you imagine Peter's reaction? Can you imagine what must be going on? He repents. He returns to Jesus. He becomes one of the great leaders of the church. Is he a man with clay feet? Does he make mistakes in the future? If I had time, I would call attention to a couple of those. Yes, but you see, this is a pivotal time. This is a time he really feels he's blown. He really feels he has lit the Lord down. And the Lord is relentless and He calls him by name. And so then Jesus walks with these guys for about 40 days. And he, he teaches them things. And, and, and somebody says it's a ghost. Even today you can find people who say, well, maybe it was just a vision. But he eats breakfast with them. Ghosts don't eat. You know, ghosts don't like Dunkin' Donut coffee and toast and, and fried ham. And, 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 and they don't care if their eggs are over easy or, or roasted. Say, ghosts don't do that. But he's getting ready to go back to be with his father. And he has a conversation with Peter. I want you to look on the screen, John 21. You can read this later. It's all listed in your worship handout. So you can check it out. Visit this sermon again this week just by reading the Scriptures and reading these passages. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, I'm, yeah, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Remember He told him to strengthen the brothers? Even before Peter denied him? And Jesus told him, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. 
Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then verse 17. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. Peter knew his foreknowledge. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times does Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? And he said, three times. And Jesus said, okay, then let's just get back to work. And let me use you to strengthen others. And that's what He wants from you. You know, that was one of the greatest things whenever I was in the military and those men talked to me. And I'm somewhere between 19 and 20 when they first start working my life. And they may realize, you know, all those things I did in rebellion, that's the past. Jesus died for those. Those have been forgiven. That's the good news. Now might grow and learn and be used by God to strengthen others. If I would have held on to my wrong, I would have been just burdened by it. And if I wouldn't have been willing to forgive others, I wouldn't have been able to be used by God. Jesus is relentless in reaching out to Peter. Personal conversation. And some of you know He's had personal conversation with you. And some of you, He's having right now personal conversation with you. And I guarantee you, if you'll read these Scriptures very slowly and look over the blanks this week, and read the other passages, he'll have personal conversation with you. We sang in that song, Come be the fire inside of me until... until... Anybody remember? See, that's the musicians. I'm listening for somebody else. Until you and I are one. Come be the fire inside of me until you and I are one. Come be the fire inside of me until you and I are one. That's what Jesus wanted with Peter. To be united. If I or Peter or you do not know the unity with Jesus, how can you even have unity with your mate who wrongs you? How can you have unity with anyone? who hurts you. He is relentless. Jesus was seeking to get Peter to let him be the fire inside of Peter so that he would feed and care and strengthen others. That's what He wants from you. And if He is the fire inside of you, there's no no and there's no quit. There may be, oh, I hit a bump in the road, and oh, I got caught up thinking about the wrong thing, but I'm ready to go again. I believe Peter never forgot this experience. And we know he went on to feed the sheep. You can read his books, First and Second Peter. Matter of fact, I wrote this sermon, and I read those. And there was things in there I wanted to put in there, but it made the sermon too long. That Peter was saying to the Christians that he wrote to, because Peter's going to die. I even want to tell you about that. That's got to be another sermon. There's not enough time to include all this. But Peter wanted to strengthen those people who never walked with Jesus and never talked with Jesus. People like you and I. Let me tell you one thing. Peter told the brothers 
the sisters in Christ to remember. Look on the screen. Peter said, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's not your friend. Don't get caught up with any people who tell you, let's get into this stuff. Peter wrote, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's talking to Christians. You see, Satan hates God and he wants to wreck you husband or wife. Satan hates God. He wants to wreck your parents through your children. Satan hates God. He wants to break up a fellowship of people together. Because he can't hurt God. But God so loved you and I that He gave. So what does Peter tell him in verse 9? Stand firm against Him. And be strong in your faith. Faith that reads God's Word, hangs out with God's people, learns what Jesus wants. That's the faith that makes it possible for us to stand firm against the devil. I say to you now, 2013, be alert. Be alert because Satan wants your heart. But I say to you, Jesus Christ is relentless. And you're here today because He called you by name. And He says, I want to talk to you today. And you come because I want to be the fire inside of you. I want all of your heart. Man, you come and you get ready. When we sing this song, it would be the last thing we do. When they're done, we're dismissed. You come on up. Okay? But as they're coming, would you bow with me? I want to pray. Father, thank You. Thank You so much for loving us. There's not one of us that deserves it. And even if any of us sit here thinking, you know, I do, that pride alone excludes us from deserving Your love. And thank You, God, for being relentless. You've talked to some of us when we were small children or young teenagers. And maybe it's been a few years and we haven't listened. And you're, you're, you're relentless. You're calling us today. God, be the fire inside of us. Help us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to You as Lord. And to begin doing things that will give You more time to speak into our lives and to our minds. Oh God, please don't give up until You have all of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand?